Right, if you're if you're passionate about your message, you want everybody to know about it. Change your mindset from um, playing to win rather than playing not to lose. But as long as you're passionate about it, I don't think you have the fear of speaking because you want to share it. The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And we're on a mission to understand and share the tools and techniques of creativity in business. And this week's guest is the amazing Tony Eels, Chief Strategy Officer of Salted Stone and also Chief Executive of the Professional Speakers Association. Paul, what did you learn in this incredible interview? I learned. Uh... <laughs> I learned so much, and we're going to jump to it very quickly. But look, what I really liked was that that Tony Tony is this person who's all about uh, method and process, um, yet he has this real creative uh, bent um, and talking about you know creative strategy. Uh, look, it was a really a really interesting conversation. Um, and and uh, for any golfers who might be listening, we even managed to weave the art and science of golf into the conversation. So let's get him in. Let's hear more about art and science in business. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Lovely to see you both, Paul, Chris, and uh, thanks for having me. And it's great to great to welcome a fellow Sydney side on the show. Um, we might just move to, so you, you had a you know a, an amazing growth turnaround over two years with COVID, but with your other interests in speaking, uh, and putting yourself out there, although you know you're C- CSO of a, of a company of 100 people, international company, you became the president of the Professional Speakers Association at the same time that um, Australia got COVID. So, t- tell us how that went for you. <laughs> well, I'm still sitting here, so <laughs> so we hung in there. You know, the, the interesting thing when I look back in in my life, like. A lot of the roles I've taken on have been at a time where you have to make decisions quickly and you have to turn something around. So prior to, so way back just before that, which I haven't spoken to you about before, but I was also the chairman of uh, um, the Sydney Hills Business Chamber. And at the time I took over that role, it was in a decline, like members were way down and a whole bunch of things. So I had to turn that business around. There was no sitting around strategizing on a future plan. It was it was survive. It was like turn that around. And I suppose I had that embedded in me when I took over as um, the national president for Professional Speakers Australia. We were actually in South Australia for our conference, which was our last face-to-face conference. We haven't had one since, obviously, because of COVID. We're all battened down there in a typical weekend conference that they have every year. And um, people were starting to, it was a weird sense. It was almost like we're in a bunker and World War III was happening above us because everyone knew something was changing. People were getting cancellations during the weekend. So I was hearing conversations in the corridors where people were going, my whole calendar of keynotes for the next for this year have all just come through and got cancelled because people were cancelling live events. Um, so I knew that there was going to be something crazy happening when we came out of this bunker of a convention. Um, so it was March of uh, 2020, so just at the very beginning that it hit uh, Australia. And I had to make a decision on what am I going to do? Like, I, I, I'm the head guy here. I've got to come up with the, you know, the, the game plan, if you like. 
So one of the things that someone had said to me once before, and I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at it, is to change your mindset from um, playing to win rather than playing not to lose. And I think a lot of people during COVID had that playing not to lose. So it was very much about, you know, you know, risk, let's all cut back on risk, let's all cut back on that. But I actually got the board together and we did a strategy session and we made our game plan on the focus of playing to win. And in that pandemic year of 2020, we rebuilt our website, we re, uh, redid the brand, did our whole messaging, like invested in the business rather than taking the other way of, of, of you know, you know, cutting back and holding back and, you know, and streamlining. And I think that made it successful because in 2021, uh, when we sort of sort of started to come out of it, um, the, the next president then started to work on the new branding and that started to give us a good position now for 2022. Tony, so it sounds in retrospect, I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's an easy story to tell because there was so much change and change means opportunity and that sort of thing. But if you cast your mind back two years and you, things are changing so fast in an unpredictable way, like you said, people have got things being cancelled, I think, or everyone listening will have personal experience of, of that March, April moment when it felt like the world was imploding. Mm. How do you give yourself the confidence to say, let's not cope here, let's do more than cope, let's play to win? when tomorrow could be even more disaster. How do you do that? Because yeah. that, that's magical yeah. if you can achieve that. Yeah, look, it's it's an element of risk, right? Because it, it comes down to risk. It's the appetite for risk. Like you can, you can if you look at a pendulum of risk, like the, the organization up until I took over had a very low element of risk. Um, so we had, you know, we had good financial backing. Um, we were in a good position to, to last, you know, like a tough time or something like that. But the issue was, is kind of like having to get the board to think about moving the risk kind of pendulum just a little bit. Not too much, but just to say, let's risk a little bit. Um, I think the thing was as well is that it, I always remember back in the, you know, you read those old uh, advertising books and everything, and they talk about mm-hmm. in World War II, the businesses that, or the, the brands that became the brand leaders after World War II were the ones that kept advertising during the during the war, right? So the ones that actually went backwards um, were the ones that just completely like closed up and went quiet. Um, so that was always on my mind. It's kind of like, how do we, to our members who were suffering during this period, actually make it um, a really strong sense so they could rely on PSA. They could sort of say, well, PSA are doing this. I want to, because the worst thing could happen is as a membership organization, everybody canned their memberships during that year. And we didn't, we actually, I think grew did you get any pushback from the board? I'm, I'm just trying to picture hmm. in my mind this new chief exec yeah. saying, here, I've, we've all got a crisis. Nobody knew it was coming. I'm an unproven person in this organization. Yeah. And I'm not going to suggest we carry on doing what my predecessor did. I'm going to suggest we do something much more radical. H- how, did you, how did you keep them on board? Was there any pushback? How did you deal with that? Yeah. Well, I think, I think, Chris, one of the things is, is like you, you've got to, to your point, exactly, I'm unproven. So I had to prove myself quickly and fast before I could get, you know, the complete backing, I suppose, of the board to trust me on, on this new approach. So one of the things was we came out of, um, obviously, out of that, that bunker, as I said, that convention. Um, and the first thing we realized is that we couldn't do any more physical um, 
kind of gatherings, right? We had a membership, they wanted to connect, they felt more that they wanted to be together than before. So literally within that mm. first month, I pulled together a national virtual event. So we created this natural virtual event and the first one I think went uh, in April, straight after the convention and then right the way through the year. So every month we had keynote speakers from around the world. So the good thing, you always gotta look at the positive, right? The positive about the pandemic is all of the international speakers that were normally booked speaking at keynotes at different kind of areas <laughs> suddenly had time on their hands. So we grabbed them and they all started to appear on our monthly national virtual event. So by getting some actions happening, so the national event, the chapter meetings that we used to have were also physical meetings. So each chapter, New South Wales, WA, all had their own chapter meetings. We turned them into virtual hugs, you know, where people could come together and, and chat. So within the first two or three months before we actually moved the strategy forward, we actually did that. That was a hug with a G, not a B. Is that right? Yes, yes. Did you see? Virtual, oh, that's great. So yeah. the sense of there's something emotional in it as well as it's a business yeah. transaction. You're actually going to... Oh, uh, love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. Um, uh, the reason I'm, I, I'm interested is because I, I think creative thinking, it sounds like you were very innovative at that moment, is an act of bravery. It takes risk. And... So the question of managing risk, I think, is central to the idea of innovation and, and doing new things. Um, so that's why I was fascinated in that. And, and mm. I think what, what you're saying is if you can identify the upside of any change, what, if you can't do live events, you can do virtual events. If you can't access speakers in Australia, there are global speakers with a much bigger yep. name who may suddenly become up. So you're looking for that upside all the time. I think that's a, that's a mm. real magic. Yeah. And I think I think you kind of need to do action wise. You know, I think it's it's all about for me. For me, when I came out of that, my my only thought process out of that convention was we've got to do something, and we've got to do something quickly because everybody came out confused. Mm. Like it, that pandemic, you know, hit us really really hard. Like no one predicted it. Even even the wonderful world of the futurists that we have everywhere doing keynotes never predicted that we were going to have a global <laughs> pandemic. Um, I, I'm sure there were people looking <laughs> yes. in crystal balls that never picked it either. <laughs> um, so we, 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 no one knew how to handle the new normal. They all came out and everyone was like, what do I do? I've got no speaking gigs. My business relies on this um, as far as PSA was concerned. And it was like they needed someone to take ownership and just sort of say right let's have a national event let's start you know learning so even the even the first few if i look back on our first few national events they're all about how do i create my virtual studio how do i you know what equipment so we had you know uh vin uh was doing a, a great presentation he's um a wonderful guy that that uh, knows how to do like pivot into this he built this whole studio in his garage so he took us through um, the back end of it. He showed him this camera's here and this is how you do this and here's your mixer and here's where you go and buy this stuff. So everyone had a game plan of what to do next rather than sitting around like the, um, you know, putting the head in the sand and hoping it all goes away. <laughs> there was a lovely bonding, wasn't there, with, with the, the mix of, hang on, let's think about business and, and risk and so on, the kind of cerebral end of of innovation and then the very practical thing where do I buy a camera that's going to make me look yeah. good online and, and how do I use my and I love and the fact that we were many of us working from home meant it became much more personal so somebody would say I can see in the background this is happening why don't you change that or whatever it might be yeah. so I think in a way we, we're all a bit more mature and a bit more um, 
uh, we've opened up a bit because of being yeah. going through this process. We've sort of shared a lot more of ourselves with the world, and that's probably a good thing. So, uh, 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 <laughs> I can see. Uh, well, I was going to just ask, what will it be like if and when things settle down? Which bits of our pandemic experience will we preserve? Do you yeah. think? I, I think you know, Chris. One of the things I, I've felt that's happened over the over the course of the pandemic is it's made us more humanized. It's made us more um, transparent about ourselves, right? I remember when when Zoom first started, and everyone everyone had bloody bookshelves behind them. Like every Zoom meeting, it was how many books could you have on your bookshelf behind you to make you look smart, you know? And it's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like well, you know. <laughs> there's no bookshelf behind you. That's good. And there's no bookshelf behind Paul. So that's good. Um, but it was all about bookshelves at the beginning, right? And and now it's not. Now it's, you know, people have realized that no matter if you've got a great bookshelf and a great studio, the dog's still going to walk in. The kids are still going to walk in. You know, yeah. something's going to happen. And I think it's made us more humanized for each other. So, and it's so good for me to feel that because like we're having this podcast today, like even in my you know meetings that I have online with with new clients and everything, it's it's more about asking them how are you going. Like you know, whereas before it was too transactional, yeah. it was too business focused. I think we've learned a lot more about each other. Mm. Can I just can I just note that Chris has a whole lot of bottles of chili sauce, which is one of his businesses <laughs> that he has. So he has all those he has all those bottles to make himself look hot. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Tony, I think the other thing that I would that I would add, and, and it was sort of my part of my personal experience as well, because I launched my speaking career in um, February the twenty fourth, twenty twenty, as well, and it really uh, allowed for a level playing field. Um, mm. And I had just been to a thought leaders conference, and there were some very famous speakers down there who just said, "We just speak. We don't. I don't do anything else. I just speak." You know, mm. I don't do mentoring and I don't do workshops. Well, very quickly, they were all doing workshops and mentoring and run, running courses and training programs. Um, so it really did, I think, open up the playing field to a great degree, you know, because all of a sudden um, everyone was scrambling for new areas of business uh, and a lot of areas where, you know, they hadn't had expertise. So for me, you know, it you know, certainly didn't give many speaking opportunities, but it certainly gave opportunities in other areas uh, and it sort of changed the community. Um, and then, you know, as after a year, I don't think I was one of your statistics. For, I joined in 2021 to the uh, PSA, and, uh, and it's certainly a great community, I've got to say, and I can understand how that community, you know, would have benefited all those speakers that were just in panic mode, as you say. Because mm. um, I remember watching a whole lot of speakers on Twitter going down to Adelaide, um, Jane Anderson and uh, Keith Abrahams and... You know, <laughs> yeah. it was very different from the Twitter feed when they're all coming home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. But can I, I just want to ask you something about speakers. Jo and Paul and I are both speakers, and we ran a workshop um, last week or the week before I got It was last week. Last week. Um, and we were inviting people up onto a kind of mock stage. It was only a small workshop. And we were role-playing, interviewing them on stage. And a couple of people jumped in in advance and said, look, please, I don't want to be in front of this audience. I don't want to be interviewed in that way. And they're all, people in the audience were all people they knew. And I was, I was a bit surprised. I thought, well, why wouldn't someone 
be happy to take that step. Of course, we kind of we we honoured their their wishes. But I, I guess what I want to ask is what why do people speak, and, and why don't people speak? My theory is that it's good for everybody to to at least learn to yeah. speak and to be confident about expressing themselves, whether or not they want to get onto a stage. But so tell me, why do people speak? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I think um, I think one of the things for me is it comes down to the message, right? If you're if you're passionate about your message, you want everybody to know about it, right? So you want to speak, you want to get up there and share your message. I think I think some of the reasons people don't speak is because they're not sure of their message, they're not confident about their message, they don't believe they have value in the message that they want to deliver. So I think it, it really comes back to really understanding what is it that you're here for? What is it that you want to share with people? Um, and and what's unique about it? Because at the end of the day, for any of us to speak, if we're all speaking about the same thing in the same way, you know, only one or two of us are actually going to get the gig, right? Because it's all a sea of sameness out there. So you've got to have that point of difference. And the good thing is we live in a world right now, especially after the pandemic, it's kind of like almost like you've grabbed the, the card deck and thrown it all up in the air. So there's no there's no set rules anymore, right? You can talk about anything you want, green hydrogen if you want, you know, whatever it is, you can have a topic that's all about your passion. But as long as you're passionate about it, I don't think you have the fear of speaking because you want to share it. Yeah. yeah, lovely. Tell me, what's your passion then? When you're on stage, what what is it that you want to share? I'm I'm guessing it's to do with the power of speaking, but maybe I'm yeah. I'm wrong. Yeah, like like for me, it's about. Um, I mean, my, my main speaking um, area is is around you know this art and science, this strategy and creativity put together to deliver the customer wow experience. You know, and you can do that in so many different ways. Like it's, it's, it, it doesn't have to be manual anymore. Like we were talking about before, you can have that uh, customer relationship magic where you're actually adding, you know, the automation in the back end that's adding that value to it. But then on the, on the front end, on the top end, you're just making it such a valuable experience for people to deal with your business. And I think, you know, in the past, people have sort of, you know, before the pandemic, pre-pandemic, we're kind of taking customers for granted. You know, they were just thinking like, you know, whether it's a price war, we offer the cheapest price or, you know, we, we, we just try and, I don't know, add more products. So we've got, you know, hundreds more products than anybody else. They were just too functional and too transactional. And they, I think how we've moved now is that we need to build that seamless experience for people. So they just love doing business with you as, as if they would have a beer with you at the bar. Okay. To tell me, I mean, it's in the art bit of the art and science, and the reason mm. is that um, sometimes I think when business people talk about art, they mean the bit of the process that they kind of make up on the spot. They don't really know how it works. They just kind of go, oh, that's the art. I can't articulate it yeah. to you. And so it's a weak way of describing a creative element in a business situation. It's, my question is, how do, you, how do you maintain art in a business? How do you maintain the yeah. art part of strategy? Yeah, so the, uh, I think how it works is, is it's the people in the business, right? So you may have creative people in the business that are just never get a voice, right? So one of the things that I know you guys do this and I do it as well is you run strate- a strategy workshop with as many people as you can from different departments within the business. Because sometimes it could be the, you know, the receptionist, you know, in a traditional business that has so many great ideas because 
she or he is the one that's actually dealing with the front end of the business, right? It's not just the CEO that's sitting in his in his boardroom that really understands what the customers are asking or complaining about. So getting people together, generally having a facilitator, because I think it's like the psychologist type of part. You need someone from the outside to come in to kind of prod and get people thinking um, strategically. But I've always felt that businesses don't use the art if they don't think strategically first. Like it's always strategy first, then things like technology second. A lot of businesses see all this buzz that's going around about, oh, I need to be in the cloud. I want what they're having, you know, like the uh, Harry Met Sally um, <laughs> movie. Where it's going, I'll have what yeah, she's having. Restaurant kind of, scene. <laughs> yeah, the restaurant scene, the famous restaurant scene. It's kind of businesses think that. It's kind of like, oh, well, hang on, they're in the cloud. We need to be in the cloud. Oh, we need to have automation. Let's do what I don't know what it means, but let's just have some of that. <laughs> Actually, interesting enough, now, to your question, though, about what I do, like even even thinking about when you play golf, right? One of the things I know, because I'm, I'm a very average golf player, um, but I play with my son. We're out, out here now. We've just joined the Lura Country Club, which sounds kind of nice, but uh, we can go and play golf together there. But you think about every, so many things you have to think about in golf, right? It's all like the, the timing when you hit the ball. It's, uh, you know, forget about the weather. It's kind of like the club you're using. Like it's a very science-based business. But if you don't move it to more of a relaxed, you know, mindset, which is really arts and creativity, you, 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 don't, you don't hit the ball because you're trying to think about too many things, slow this down and this, that and the other. But if you just kind of like put that into the subconscious and just smell the roses and the lovely outdoor that you are and you just naturally swing, it's amazing how far that ball goes. It's interesting because I'm, I'm, I think I've played three times in the last decade, but I do know that the harder you try, the worse you get. And you have to find that. Yeah. So you have to kind of put yeah. aside what you think is a, is a good shot and just relax yeah. and... I suppose flow is yeah. the word I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, I, I don't play golf no. anymore. <laughs> but I did for a while. And <laughs> every time I'd go out, there'd be one shot, one yeah. shot out of hundreds. Because, you know, air swings and, you know, chipping mm, the top mm. of it. That would, I would connect and it was sweet. And, you know, and that, that one shot would get me back every week. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's what I, golfers live for, isn't it, Tony? That yeah. one shot, the one where it just yeah, sails down. Yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day, you One just... of my claims to frame is my... Go, sorry. I say my brother, uh, my eldest brother, um, his playmate when he was growing up was... Um, uh, his neighbour, playmate, was uh, Greg Norman. They, right, that's a good they, playmate. They, they were kids... They were kids that, <laughs> Yeah, but unfortunately they drifted apart over the last 60 years. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted you, Tony. You were gonna... Yeah, I think I think it's good, like you, like you said, um, Paul, like that one shot keeps you coming back. Uh, and the idea is just to, to build up more of those one shots so you actually come back, you know, because if you can do more of them, then you get to understand the science part because you, you, you then start to realise, well, what did I do differently that made that ball go in the right direction whereas when you hit a good shot and you only do it once in a game you kind of can't remember what did i do that made that work (laughs) it's It's a good metaphor for speaking as well Uh, you know know, some work and some don't you know uh what lines work i've done some stand-up and the whole thing about stand-up is um you know a lot of um uh uh uh, stand-up people you know that's what they do and they and they, you know, they write a note that that line works. Mm. No, cross that one out. That one didn't work. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, interesting. Well, you got to try different things. I think. Can... And, uh, yeah. Sorry, Chris. 
No, I was just thinking that the, the analogy with sport is a very good one. The, the big difference, of course, is you can see exactly where your ball lands. You know whether it was a good shot or not. Sometimes in business, you, it's not so clear whether you've, you've hit that one shot. You may well have hit that one shot. You just don't know about it. Or the reverse could be you could have hit a terrible slice in a, in a sort of business equivalent, mm-hmm. and you'd persuade mm-hmm. yourself that it was a big success. So uh, uh, maybe the ironically uh, measurement is what what would really help creativity yeah. would help us relax if we knew we could if we could tell whether we're hitting that one shot in the world of business we'd be much more like golfers able to relax and able to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, I think to your point, which is a good, a good kind of analogy to look at, right? Because definitely in golf, you can see where the ball's gone, right? You can see where it's, you know, how far you are from the hole. So you've got, you've got the destination in focus very clearly. There's a flag and there's a hole, and you're heading that way. Mm. A lot of businesses don't even have that, right? It's kind of like survive yes. every day <laughs> without really knowing. Is it, are where we the tennis? Flag are we, is is it tennis or golf? We're not sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're not. They're not sure. Yeah, where they're playing. So I think that's the first thing. But the second thing to your point, and it's so important in business today, is because we live in a digital world, everything we do can be measured and reported and reviewed. And businesses don't take the time, I think, to look back. It's very reactive and not proactive. Whereas if you if you look at, okay, let's look at our results as deeply as we can, and we're, we're doing this thing over here and we're not making any money on it. So that's insane, insane, right? Let's stop doing that, either change it so we're making money on it, or let's go this way, because this thing over here, which we're not doing a lot of, but we make heaps of money on, let's change our focus here, you know? So I think measuring is important, like it's, you know, rather than just being, yeah. you know, putting yeah, your hand, yeah. finger in the air and just think, which way's the wind blowing? I'll go that way today. Yeah, that's mm. why I love I love talking to people that have recently joined the business because they have the fresh eyes. They can say, "We never asked that question. Mm. Nobody ever says that." And, you, and everybody else is kind of snow blind. Yeah. Go, no, no, it's just the way we do things. Badly. But the new recruits, yeah. oh. they're the ones who see see new opportunities. <laughs> and you know, you um, know, Chris, the uh, thing. Tony, I'm the, just. Uh, oh, sorry. Cool. Yep. No, you go, go on. Yeah. No. The the only thing I was just going to add to that because it's one one thing I I, I feel strongly about is I think businesses no matter what size you are should always take the time to to re-engage your mindset to a startup business like what was it like when you started your business because you started your business with the passion you started the business with the excitement and then as businesses start to evolve they become too transactional to you know pay the tax man do this hire people they leave you rehire it becomes too you know kind of methodical and i think you lose that passion and the freshness so i think yeah. at least maybe once a year they should get the business together and say let's review what we've done and let's treat ourselves like a startup and um and re re-engage that passion i think that's super important especially nowadays after this um post pandemic is businesses can't yeah. be too structured anymore you have to be agile because who knows what's around the corner like this pandemic has sh- shaken us up so much you can't have a business that's built on solid structure it's got to be fluid for you yeah. to kind of move and groove with whatever the world's doing yeah yeah i think that's a lovely point <laughs> that's, uh, i think that's that, that that's a good a good place to end in terms of the strategy of where we're going to and where we're going to here was to an end point um so <laughs> Uh, sadly, our time our time is up. I think it's been a really interesting conversation about that intersection of strategy and creativity, and especially, particularly your own personal journey in that and and your experience at the at the PSA as well. So, uh, thank you for your time today, Pleasure. Tony. I know you're a, you're a busy man. 
with a growing business through almost a turnaround. Uh, 350 degrees. <laughs> I've got to find that 10%. <laughs> I've got to find that extra 10% somewhere, then I can turn it around. I think the, the art part of the business can find the, find the extra 10%. Totally great <laughs> pleasure to meet you too. Thank you so much for answering all those questions from in different different aspects of creativity and, and uh, CRM. I really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Paul. Well, thank you very much to, to Tony Eads. Uh, a fascinating interview. If you've got some comments about art and science and business, uh, please leave a comment in the chat box or, or better still subscribe to this. That way um, other people will be able to find the po podcast and tune in as well. Um, also, a quick plug for a product that we offer, Paul. Do you want to tell people about ideas and stories that matter? Sure. So this year and I have a new uh, training program Ideas and Stories That Matter, which is really about creative strategy. And um, we are for hire for businesses, uh, corporates, governments. Uh, details on our website, Two Common Creatives, links in the show notes below. And so, and I just wanted to say a special thank you to our new producer, Roland Yui, uh, who's just joined us, and, and a tribute to our previous producers, Michaela Rock and our previous editor. So uh, welcome Roland and uh, uh, we look forward to um, many successful podcasts to come. Yep. Tune in next week. See you soon at The Common Creative.